The audio content of this podcast may not be suitable for all audiences or listening locations. Explicit language, situations, and viewpoints may be expressed that may offend certain listeners. Those listeners may piss off. Hello everyone, it is Friday, 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 you know what that means, it's time for another Wee Wild Woman, the Fat Man Farmer podcast. I am the Fat Man Farmer. And I'm Wee Wild Woman. It has been a while since we have recorded, mainly because we haven't had to go anywhere, we haven't come off our hill. I had thought multiple times about trying to record inside, where it would be quiet, we'd have much better audio, and just every day something seemed to come up, new projects, new things to get done. So I never got around to it. It's much better when I have a co-host with me anyway. Y'all don't want to hear me just ramble. It goes better. Anyway, so we haven't had a podcast in a while, so we'll give you a little bit of update, and then we will finish what we started our last one, which was like a month or two ago. It's been a while. So let's see. What's happened since we last podcast? We have a new, several new additions to the farm. We have a dairy cow now. Her name is, her official name is Bossy Caramel, because Bossy was her name from two people ago that raised her from a bottle baby, and we liked Caramel because of her coloring, and it goes with the whole color theme we have for the cows. We have Red, or Redmond Cornelius Wallace Esquire, the fourth, and then we have Betty, also known as Black Betty, also known as the Street Walking... Wait, no. I've got to get her whole name. Sap-sucking, fence-jumping, manual-eating, street-walking, I-need-a-man heifer of West Walnut Black Betty. Boy, that's a mouthful. So, continuing with that, we said Caramel, and her unofficial name has lately become Cowamel, since she's a cow and it's caramel. I know, dad joke, but I didn't come up with it. One of our friends, uh, Pat, down in Tennessee, came up with that, and it's kind of stuck. Senior boss didn't like it at first, rolled her eyes, as that is stupid. Yet, guess who called her Cowamel last night? Senior farm boss. All right, let's see. We got new ducks. We've got Muscovy ducks who are now sitting on nests. We did a barter for um, some sheep for some ducks because Senior Boss wanted some ducks, um, specifically Muscovies. They wanted to get rid of Muscovies, and it worked out nice. So I don't know. How many ducks did we get? A lot. And then there are baby ducks. The baby ducks need to get moved out, too. So I think we're up to, like, 30 ducks Something like that. Probably. Um, more chickens. So we've, a bunch of chickens have hatched. So I don't know how many chickens we have. A lot. Um, we downsized some sheep. We downsized uh, to some families who were wanting to get sheep to graze some pasture. Um, another family wanted to raise them up for some meat. Um, somebody else wanted a breeding ram for her sheep that she has. And then the goatlings left to somebody who needed to clear some property. And the goats were doing a job because it's on a big hillside. He came and picked up another one last night. And we're down to one little buckling with elf ears. He's all black. Well, almost all black. He's black and like a tan on the underside. So, um... There's a cookie that looks like that, too. I can't remember what kind of cookie it is. They're good. I'll show it to you if we go to a store. Um, anyway, we have him, and then maybe one of our dairy does is pregnant, so we might be milking the goats here soon. We may be uh, having more goat babies, and next year we're hopefully going to have a calf from Cowamel and possibly... Betty. Betty's a little big, so Redmond's having a hard time mounting her. He tries. He does his very best, but he just has not quite got the height on him. But Cowamel's a little bit shorter, so her heat cycles should be coming up in a week or so, and we'll see if he's able to, to make connection. He's, he doesn't leave her side, though. He pretty much follows her and drops Betty like a bad habit. 
Betty does her own thing pretty much by herself, and they all go up together at night. But during the day, Redmond's right there by Calamel's side. He likes the big milk bags on the, the cows. I know, she's, she's rolling her eyes telling me I'm sketch. Anyway. Yes, you are! <laughs> uh, what else we got going on? Fair is over. We had a good time at fair. Uh-huh. We may talk about, do a whole thing of the positives and negatives of fair one day. Maybe. Maybe. So how did you do at fair? Did you like... You go to fair not necessarily for winning or competition to be the best. You go there to see if you can do better than you did last year. Yes, and to see my friends. Well, yeah, there's the social aspect. But every year at fair, you've gotten better, right? Yes, I have, but every day, every time it seems to rain on Western Day. Which is your favorite day. Yes, but this year I was able to do good in English. Which you've been practicing. And so, like, last year, you got disqualified from several um, competition events because the pattern or Val was squirrely or doing something. Those were from, um, contesting. Okay. But, but I'm, what I'm saying is, this year, you were able to do everything, no disqualifications, and you even bet out, beat out your BFF who's been riding horses and rides like seven days a week every day every week and you beat her in one of your events was that your kind of highlight probably a little competition there yes so we like fair we only do horse and pony and then some of the i shouldn't say we you only do horse and pony and some of the um posters and projects because sheep, which is what we would probably be able to win quite a bit because nobody brings the breed we have, um, but sheep is on the same day as western, so we don't do sheep. We tried goat. We didn't like the goat um, showing. They're a little on the snooty side. Uh, um, then there is, we can do chickens. Or geese or turkeys, but you're not really into the showing and the winning kind of stuff. It's the social, and you like doing the horse stuff more. Yes, because the horse and pony is like a big family. So, um, let's see. Anything else that happened since then? We have goldfish. Lord, do we have goldfish? Do you want to talk about goldfish? Sure. We need to kill time anyway. Not necessarily. I was taking a drink, hoping you would continue. <laughs> So, in our aquaponics that we put up, we put in some goldfish just to seed it so that it would um, see how they do over winter. Could we sustain fish? You know, it's also there to help the plants grow because we need their waste, um, which fertilizes the plants and the plants shade out for algae and give the place for bees to land to get water. And then we can harvest the plants and feed them to other animals. Well... Apparently, the goldfish and the minnows that were in there have reproduced. So, what we had when, like, over winter, when I drained it down, we were at maybe, I think, six or seven big goldfish. We're talking three or four inches long. And now there's, what, 100 plus? Probably. And there's, like, as, as we says, there's the adults, there's the teenagers, and then there's the babies. So, we have little baby ones, medium-sized ones, all kinds of different sh colors, and they're all over the place, and they'll come and eat, like, bite at your fingers if you leave your hand in the water. Um, so we've, we've been spreading some of those to different stock tanks to help eat the algae down. Does some more need to be placed into, like, Betty and Red's stock tank? Probably. Red only has one in his. Betty has Two. three, I think. No, that one was from Betty's area. The one that Mother put into Red's? I put it into Red's. Oh. Anyway, we could. We need to redo some of our, as part of our projects, we need to put a new water trough in. Can't put them in the chicken yard because the chickens eat them. You can't put them in the small tubs because they'll drain too easy. Um, I would say we could put one up in Freya's maybe, but I think she might eat it. Anyway, all the little 
bugs that live in there are carnivorous. There's like these little like water mites or something. Probably mosquitoes. They're not mosquitoes. I know mosquitoes. These aren't mosquitoes. Oh, I don't know that. Anyway, um, so that's what we've been, we've had going on. We did learn that our guinea hogs that we have, we put them in the chicken yard, they ate down all of the invasive weed, pig amaranth, also known as pigweed. It's this spiny stuff, and it just goes everywhere, spreads super easy. Um, it likes high nitrogen areas, which is what was in our chicken yard. But those pigs ate it down to the ground. The sheep and the goats won't eat it. The cows won't eat it. But those pigs loved it. So we're now gung-ho on getting a bunch more guinea hogs and possibly just running them with some of the other livestock. So like the sheep and things and the goats, but not during uh, lambing season. So run everybody together and they all eat pasture and that's one less thing we have to buy for pig feed. We'll still keep your two pets. Piggy uh. and Petunia. Those two, are they're full-size meat pigs and they're kind of our breeders, but they can till up a pasture like nobody's business. So if we ever wanted to roto-till instead of having to you know, use a tiller or something, we could send them out there for a month or two and they just flip over all the dirt be good to go. Um, do you think that's about it on the updates? Anything new? That's about it, isn't it? Yeah, probably. So we got to run to Indy to, we're going to go visit Miss Amy, because we have to when we go into town, and pick up some stuff that we want at an auction, and I think that's about all we got going on in town. So, what, you that's, had something? Not unless you plan on stopping anywhere else. You never know. We might. Mother told me to not stop at any grocery stores because we are out of space for everything. But you never know if there's a deal somewhere. We might have We have happen. enough chicken. In regards to that, we have, in the last two weeks, picked up about 300 pounds worth of chicken. Now, it's not all for us. Some of it is. But when you see a deal for boneless, skinless chicken breasts... For a dollar fifty a pound, and it's normally two twenty nine or or two ninety nine a pound. You pick up all that you can. So we're having to play freezer Tetris, and then I got a bunch of uh, jumbo chicken quarters, leg quarters, for forty pounds of it for under twenty dollars, which is a steal of a deal as well. And that's primarily been what we've been feeding a lot of the dogs for their raw diet. Um, recently learned that one of our meat processors that we typically use is willing to work a deal with me so that some of the animals that maybe we're going to cull anyway or maybe they're not the best for meat or whatever, we can bring them in, they'll kill and chill, and then just wrap the bones and all, like cut them up into one to two pound chunks and then that's what we can use for the the dogs and cats as well so we're growing their food as well and their food is eating pasture so essentially we're feeding the animals for free so we feed the grazers for free because they're eating pasture and then the dogs are eating for free and we have a self-sustaining type system so that's what our whole goal is on the farm, is to try and do something like that. Um, the chickens are kind of free-ranging. They're almost free. Uh, they eat a lot of the, the kitchen scraps and things, but they're getting spent grain right now just because it's a waste that we're able to pick up for free. All right, do you want to start on our list? Kind of giving an update because since you mentioned the chicken. Okay, so... Emergency funds and using credit cards. So we're going to go back to our topics of things when you're just starting out on a homestead to think about or maybe some mistakes not to make. Um, I would always say keep at least a $1,000 emergency fund. And it's kind of one of the Dave Ramsey tips. We used to kind of sort of follow some of his stuff. Um, but having the $1,000 emergency fund is definitely a plus. 
Um, you never know what's going to happen. You have blow a tire. You have an unexpected expense for something. And this isn't emergency. This isn't, oh, I saw a good deal here or this or that. This is, I would have to otherwise put it on the credit card or we have no other means to pay for it other than this and it has to get done. So we had an instance not too long ago where one of the sidewalls on my tire blew out on the truck and the truck tires are not cheap. I think it was $300 to have a new tire um, replaced and put on the, the wheel. Now, that was something that we weren't accounting for. That was a big chunk of change. So we ended up having to dive into the emergency fund for that. You know, be able to repay that back before we have another emergency. But if you don't do something, like you end up running up your credit cards, and then you have, you know, to a point where those are all maxed out, and then you have no emergency funds still. So what happens when... You have a $1,000 deductible on a car accident or something happens to your house and you have a $1,000 deductible. Where are you going to come up with that $1,000? Um, you know, we had some other situations where um, senior boss had a close friend that she works with. Her husband unexpectedly died and she may be going to the... Well, she is going to go to the, the funeral and things like this, but it's out of state. So that wasn't something we planned on and that might be the emergency room money for uh, a hotel there um, otherwise that'd have to go on credit cards and then you have an interest rate and that runs things up uh, oh we didn't even talk about all the storms here where the power went out for five days and the things you know what that's probably a whole nother podcast of just what we did without power for five days on the farm and how we, what we had to do to get over that. Plus all the damage. Um, anyway, but that was something where we had five days without power. What are you, you know, how are your electric fences are run? How are you getting water if you're on a well? Uh, we had damage to fencing. We had damage to gates. And luckily, none of our exterior fencing that would allow animals off the property were impacted too bad. We did have one exterior fence go down on our the road right in front of the house, but because of the, where it was at and the nature of the animals that are there, they don't get out. They're the front hill friendly, so they pretty much stick around in the yard and they don't venture too far because they've got a good life where they're at. But having that emergency fund can definitely save you, especially maybe if it's a vet bill. You know, how are you going to pay for vet bills? You know, some of them don't take cards. Some of them want payment up front because, you know, they'll put it on a check or whatever and the check doesn't clear. Or they're always waiting on someone to finish paying off their bill. Well, then it could be months or a year before somebody pays off a large vet bill. So that's something that you may want to think about as well. So anyway... What I'm saying is keep an emergency fund so that you're not having to use credit cards and try to stay away from using credit cards and possibly use that as your emergency fund. Uh, when the power went out around here, the power went out everywhere. So that's you know, in town, that's businesses, and some of them couldn't process credit cards. But we did have uh, a stash of cash that we keep on hand for emergencies, and that's part of our emergency fund. And then sometimes we have to borrow from Banco de, de We because she always has money. That is true. I usually have over. The dog, you don't even see how much money you have on you. Somebody rob you. You always have cash on you because you get paid and you really don't ever go anywhere or spend it on anything. Unless I really want something. Yes, but you're, you work hard on the farm so you get lots of perks. She got a new art pad the other day because senior boss wants a big picture drawn for her office. So one of the perks is she got a an, an art tablet, gets art pencils and you know different things that are bought for her because she's spoiled. I'm not spoiled. You're not spoiled. You work hard for your money. Anyway, what do we got next? What's on our list? Oh, caught you sleeping. Structures in the wrong locations. So this kind of goes with our watching your land for 
you're here from the previous episode, um, we put up structures in the wrong place where we thought it would be a great idea, but then when you're having to walk water out to the back of a pasture because that's where you decided to put the barn, for some ungodly reason that seemed like a good idea in the beginning, or maybe you put a barn where it gets wet or an animal structure. We've done this of... We built pig huts out of, and our pig huts are just pallets and tin or tarp, so it's not like it's a big deal when we put them in. Um, but it was a, a lower area. They ended up collecting water, and the pigs never used them. So it was a wasted structure, wasted time. Now we have to rebuild them and move them somewhere else. Um, you know, we put the pigs in the woods, which is all great. We don't smell them. They get lots of cool shade. Uh, there's nothing back there. They get about two acres to run around in, but it's all the way a good distance from the barn where we would have water, so putting water in the winter is an issue. Luckily, we thought more on their structure, and we put it up on top of the hill, and it drains out the main door so it doesn't get compacted in there. So what we did with the, one of our other pig huts is we put the opening facing uphill versus facing downhill, so as the pigs wallowed and everything, they made a wall in there, and water would come in through the opening and just pool in their wallows in the hut. So now they won't use it. So think about your structures. Think about how are you getting hay in there? How are you getting vehicles around? Are they wide enough to get vehicles in? Are they wide enough to get, you know, if you're cleaning out with tractors or a bobcat, are your openings big enough? So we've learned this with some of the goat rooms that we have in the barn is if your opening isn't big enough to get the wheelbarrow in, you've got to haul all of that, you know, bedding and hay and straw or whatever else you've got in there around openings, around doors. How your doors open is another one to think about. Um, you want to make sure that they are easier to open, that you can get you and a you know, shovel full of whatever out that you're shoveling. Um, I always open the doors out versus opening them in because the animals are usually behind the doors and so they won't get out of the way half the time because they all want to come out. Um, but can you add anything about different buildings and how to put them and what, where to put them so you think about those things? I know when we built the duck hut or the peeper palace we weren't anticipating building a horse barn up there, and now it's kind of in the way. So we either have to change how the horse barn is being built, or deconstruct and move the peeper palace, which is in between a bunch of fruit trees, so it's not going to be easy to move without completely disassembling it. So those are some things that are you should think about what are the big plans? What are you going to do eventually? Think, you know, next year, three years, five years, ten years. Do you have big plans? How is that going to impact where you put something today? Probably don't watch where the element in that, how often the wind blows. Because, like, for, like, three-sized shelters in that, like we have for the horse barn, don't face them into the wind, like the opening into the wind in that. Yep, that's a good one. Uh, so that goes back to watching your property for a year or getting the historical data of where does the wind predominantly blow in your area. So where we're at, and we get winds at different places at different times of the year, so what is your more extreme? So that since we're on an international podcast, we have listeners all over the world, we found out, um, you know, what's your extreme temperature? Is it summer? Are you in Texas or somewhere where it's hot? Is you know where the morning sun the hottest, or is the evening sun? And then you got to think, well, is that opening facing the sun? So are you getting full sun in the morning so that their hut is not a very habitable place where they get the morning sun and they get hot real easy? Or is it you know as the sun goes down, it's beating inside there so it resides heat all day? Now, that might be a good thing if it's in winter and it warms it up in the morning. So. You know, think about those kinds of things when you're designing. Um, and like we was saying, where your opening is. So when you're getting your rainy season, 
which direction does it typically come from and which direction does the wind typically come from uh, we, we kind of want to I want to say most of our rain and wind come from the southwest most of the time she's doing directions to figure out where the southwest is so it goes at like an angle yeah so it usually comes like if you think about our property it would probably come starting at the lower and working its way back towards the pigs that's that would be moving northeast okay so it would come from the southwest does that make sense anyway she's trying to think about all that it's more of a visual just think of where the rain usually comes and where the when you look at your radar where does the storms come from and how do they usually track when they're moving towards us they're usually coming i don't know the name of the states illinois no and illinois is like that way it's the other way illinois is where they usually come from it's St. Louis. Maybe that's where I'm That's going. Missouri, so it's in the same general direction. Anyway, plan your buildings accordingly and also plan about cleaning and deliveries and accessibility for both you and maybe power. So in order for us to get power to the horse barn that we're building, we have to dig a trench from the house to the horse barn, which would go directly through the duck pond. So are we going around the duck pond? Are we digging the duck pond up and renewing it? Uh, you know, some of those kinds of things are to consider. Plus, we need to have water out there. We want to bury a water line and build a 10,000-gallon cistern. So that means we have to have buried water lines because where we are, our, uh, our water freezes over the winter. So we have to go at least three feet, which, again, goes right through the duck pond. Okay, I was getting Illinois and Ohio mixed up. Uh-huh, you had to look at a map, didn't you? Yes. Oh, oh, what happened to, when am I ever going to use these social studies and things? I have a phone! We had an argument recently about when she actually going to use social studies because you have a, a map on your phone all the time. Now you know. Anyway, alright, so what do we got next? some of that for our projects and it's not cheap so 
where are you getting the money from if you're trying to homestead on the the cheap, I don't want to say cheap, but cost effectively. So, you know, don't get into to principles over practicality. A $3 tube of warmer that is perfectly safe for humans to consume and is actually a prescribed warmer um, by doctors. I mean, granted, it's in a pill form versus a paste form, but it's the exact same uh, formula for lots of things in humans that you can eat, and it's ivermectin. Ivermectin would have cured these sheep of their worm, and it's something that you can take as well. So, you know, would the same person not go to the doctor if they were sick? No, they wouldn't. They take antibiotics, but they wouldn't do it for their animal because they wouldn't do it holistically. And that just rubbed me the wrong way. So, you know, if you're in that situation, don't put uh, principles over practicality. Sometimes you need to do these things. We don't worm the sheep regularly. We worm them as needed. That's to, so that they don't build up a resistance, the worms, and that they make a healthier animal. And if you're rotating your animals, and if you're having them in uh, good conditions with lots of good things to eat, they either worm themselves by eating charcoal or different plants, or they don't get the worm load, or they are able to manage their worm load effectively, and it doesn't bother them or cause them you know, harmful effects. So, you know, we've had to do antibiotics because... Sometimes animals get sick. Sometimes they get pink eyes. Sometimes they, you know, um, get a, what was it? Uh, it's not asthma. It's uh, pneumonia. Pneumonia. Thank you. And you got to treat them. It's just part of it. They're asthma is where you can't do a whole lot of physical activity and you start to have breathing issues. Okay. Thank you. Yes. I, I knew it was something around the breathing. I just knew I'm driving and I'm talking at the same time. I'm at a brain fart. Leave me alone. So, pneumonia, there's sometimes it's wet conditions in the barn and you can't bring them in and, you know, they don't want to come in. So, you got to treat them. So, don't let your animals die for that. Um, we have somebody else who, she is insistent on non-GMO feed and that's the best thing and that's the only thing she feeds her animals and it's non-GMO this and non-soy this. But then she'll turn around and take her kids to McDonald's. So what's the difference? If you're wanting to feed your family non-GMO and, you know, the bestest of the best for your animals that makes them cost six times what you can buy it somewhere else for. Is she the person that keeps having the animals dying? No, she's, if I say her, you'll know who she is. Okay. Who's always got drama on Facebook? Don't say her name. You know who she is now. Yes, I do. That's okay. who I was referring to. Oh, yeah, because all the animals she gives sells to somebody else die. Yes. Um, which is another point. We'll get into that. So, you know, she's very insistent on non-GMO this and pedigreed this and papered this. But in the end, she's having a hard time finding markets because nobody wants to pay the premium that it took to raise those animals. So we'll sell our pigs for, we're at $2 a pound live weight now. And that's us feeding them uh, basically stuff that was approved for people. So, you know, stuff from the food bank that they can't give out to, to people otherwise. And granted, it might be GMO stuff. It might not. We try to stay away from any of the soy. But they get protein from different meats and things. They get protein from uh, some of the foods that they get. Versus the same person selling their pigs for a lot more. They don't sell it by the pound. They do, you know, because they're breeding stock and there's this and that. Um, but is it worth it in the end? I mean, you, if you think about, let's say, the, the broiler chickens, the Cornish cross chickens, you got to raise them for six to eight weeks to get them to process weight. And they go through a lot of feed. And by the time you get done doing it, ours, which we feed just conventional, um, either the spent grain that we get for free, or we feed them uh, grower feed, which is the GMO and all the soy and all that kind of stuff. We come out just in feed alone, not paying ourselves, not trying to, you know, make any money. It's just the cost of the birds. It ends up being like 4 to $5 per pound. And you're talking, you know, 7 pounds sometimes, 8 pound birds. 
that's a, an expensive piece if you're trying to sell that. Now, try and make a profit so that you can not only pay for the birds and the feed, but your labor and you know your mortgage or expenses that are not related to the bird. You know, you've got to buy gas, you've got to buy feed, you got to these kinds of things. If you're buying those things on top of it, you're charging a hundred dollars for a chicken that you can go get the same, roughly the same size chicken at the grocery store for like less than ten bucks. So, you know, are you going to would you pay a hundred dollars for one chicken or would you rather have ten chickens? So, you know, that's some of that putting principle over practicality. We got into it, we wanted to do some of those things, but you know, we found alternatives. So we went from having to pay for feed and or going to the food bank to get food for our meat pigs to switch to a breed that eats grass and forage. And those guinea girls are doing great on the forage. They before they had a considerable weight problem. Our boars still do. Only because they're in with the meat pigs currently because they won't leave. One of them is very difficult. We may just end up shooting him and process him out in the field just because he's been such a pain. Anyway, but, you know, what I'm trying to say is you can have an orchard, and if you want to do the whole non-spray, you know, non none of this, that's great, but you're not going to get the picture-perfect apples. You're not going to get peaches that don't get hit by insects or diseases. You can do things like from the Holistic Orchard Management book by Michael Phillips, he does a lot of things that are, are sprays, but are not toxic chemical sprays. Sprays like using um, old milk that has spoiled, that actually contains a bacteria that over-colonizes the, the trees, an apple tree specifically. And it's, it's not harmful to people, but what it does is eat all of the available food for the harmful, you know, bacteria and viruses. So... Uh, you know, something like that, or planting mint in your orchard to dispel some of the insects that would normally go there. Running chickens and ducks under your orchards so that they can break the pest cycle. So when your um, apples or things fall, they eat the worms out of it. Can you also use lemon balm? Lemon balm is another one. Lemon balm, any of the mints that are strong, garlic. So if you're having problems with moles and voles ringing your trees, which they go in there and they eat the bark or they eat the roots, um, you can plant garlic in there, and that helps dispel them, or onions. So just some of these things that you can do uh, without having to use the chemicals, but you don't have to you know, sacrifice for it. And realize that you're going to have what you see in the store is maybe 5% of what was grown in the in the field. So when you go to pick fresh produce at the store, it's the picture-perfect stuff. And it's come from miles and miles away, typically. Um, but when you grow it, it's going to look different. Don't expect it to be picture-perfect. So you think, if only 5% of the stuff that's in the grocery store is, is for sale as far as fresh produce... Where does the 95% go? Well, that's what goes into your prepackaged meals or, you know, canned meals or restaurants where you may not see it, but it gets processed and, and once it's cooked, you don't see the, the nice produce. You see the final result. So that's where a lot of those things will go to or end up. But you're not a failure if your things don't look, look picture perfect. Um... Now, we were on that we want to do you know, all natural this and that and it comes a point where either you save the animal's life or you stick to your principles and if you have expensive animals because you decided you wanted to get paper pedigreed animals and then you let them die that's a big waste of money over principles we don't do paper pedigree mainly because our animals are for function not for sale selling animals and you want to get that breeding pedigree, great. You can make money on it by doing it. But you got to have the, the right clientele to buy that. And once the market gets saturated with your pedigree goats or pedigree sheep or this or that or rabbits, well then who are you going to sell to? 
Whereas if you're doing it for meat, most people don't care if it's going on their table if it has a paper with it or not. And they don't want to pay for the paper because you can't eat the paper. Does that make sense? I zoned out like halfway through that. Oh my lord, child. Do I just talk it randomly and, you know, it's not worth Oh my god, you're going to town with dirty socks like that? Oh, come on. I couldn't find... I wouldn't be able to find any matching ones. They're matching. They're just dirty. And yours aren't? Do you even... Mine are put... black. Mine don't show dirt. Oh, my black ones get holes in them. Maybe you need to ask for more socks. So, I picked up an auction of, I don't know, like a hundred and something socks. And they were for both junior and senior farm boss. They wear the snot out of them. But all of a sudden, I can't find socks. So, there's 161 pairs of socks somewhere. Anyway. Okay. Do you have anything that you would like to add about principle over practicality? So, you know people who do idealistic type situations. And, oh, well, let's go back to what you had mentioned about this person that we won't name having animals to die. So we were at um, Henderson Farms helping them with their their goats since goat Kayla couldn't touch them because she was pregnant at the time. So we were helping them do cedars, which is helps them breed out of season. And it's a hormones and these kind of things. But because she was pregnant, touching these hormones could possibly terminate her pregnancy. So we wanted to make sure she wasn't touching them. And it's not a, a one-person job. So um, Adam wasn't able to do it. I don't know if they even listen to the podcast. I don't want to call him the other name that we call him. <laughs> Goat Kayla needed some help. So we went and helped him. And Adam was there to help, too. Um, but they were telling us about how this certain individual who puts all this, you know, stipulations on non-GMO feed and papered this and papered that, every animal they've sold to anybody recently ended up dying within a week of leaving their farm. So was that because they gave the, the new owners didn't want to buy the expensive feed because it does get very pricey? Did it because the other animals were pampered and they weren't suited to go out to a regular farm. Don't know the whole situation. It might be rumors, but I've heard more than one person say that animals have died at right after leaving. And that's a lot of money to be sinking into animals that die. Alright, you got anything else on principle over practicality well I mean we can talk about some of the like that, that there's the animal principle over practicality and then there's like the building principle over practicality we'll build animal shelters out of pallets tin sticks logs whatever we have handy and as long as it's functional and it works we really don't care what it looks like now there are some people we know I know a person you, know, you may have known them when we lived in Indy that ended up building a $2,000 chicken coop. I mean, it had an air conditioner. It was one of those um, outdoor sheds. It had you know, swings and all kinds of features and bells and whistles. And then they found out that they couldn't keep chickens. And this was only for like, I don't know, six or seven chickens. I mean, it's a $2,000 or more chicken coop worth keeping five or six chickens in. No. You, you could make it a lot cheaper and still get the same function. Um, Hell, you could probably use a doghouse. Yes, you could use a doghouse. Well, a, a lot of people are using those dog kennel crates like we have that um, are in the back of the barn that we used to run the sheep through, that big eight-foot thing, chain link. They use that as their, their chicken run. So you put a couple of those together, T-post them in the ground, and then maybe make them some sort of little pallet hut, and there you go. Whereas we free-range them, and you know, the dogs are there to protect them versus having to build a chicken run. But we don't care what they look like as long as they're functional, because you know what? If somebody comes over, they're not paying my bills. And if they want to judge my chicken hut that costs me nothing to make, let them judge. They can go back to their suburbia lot and pay their $2,000 for 
their chicken hut, which if you're doing it for eggs, it's going to take you a long time to pay off getting your own eggs for the $2,000 hut plus the non-GMO feed plus all of the treats that you buy each week for the chickens. So at that rate, those chickens will have died and turned to dust by the time you paid off by just getting eggs once a week. Or, you know, two dozen eggs a week. So sometimes you got to look at your ROI, which is return on investment, and, you know, is it worth making it pretty? Or is it worth making it functional? We go and buy... Uh, tin or roofing steel at some of the big box stores, but I don't buy the stuff that's off the rack. I go out to the scratch and dent area that may have a bent edge or a scratch down the middle or something like this, and they knock it down by 20 to 75% off, depending on what kind of deal you can get. And that's what we, we make it out. And is it all the same color? Sometimes. Sometimes we might have an animal structure that's got five different colors on it. You can always paint it, and we don't care. So, you know, it goes back to the whole principle over practice. Is, is the principle to have a pretty, cutesy, artsy-fartsy farm, or is the, the principle to have food that you can eat cheaper and more self-sufficiently than you can from the grocery store? So what is your goal? I don't know. Do you think that's it? Do you think anything we have else on principle over practicality? Well, you probably, when you were talking about it, covered most of the next subject. Watching too many YouTubers and confidentiality without ideal incentives. Okay, you know, that, that kind of does cover the principle of practicality. Um, so, what she's saying is basically a lot of people, and we met some recently, that they watch a lot of these YouTubers and they think that it's, or they go to conferences and things and they think that homesteading is just going to be turnkey, super easy. You throw some chickens out in the yard and you get eggs every day. Well, they don't show you cleaning the chicken coop. They don't show you the egg-bound hens. They don't show you when the raccoons come and decimate your entire flock. They don't show you the neighbor's dogs coming and eating all of their chickens and then having to battle it out with the neighbors because the neighbors say it wasn't their dog or the sheriff's department doesn't want to get involved or this or that. These YouTubers show you an idealistic way to get you to keep watching. Now, not everybody does that. Some people show you the, the, the dirty and the heartache and the hard pieces of it, but not a lot. So that's kind of why um, Cowamel... So Bossy Clover came to us. Some people who have never homestead, lived in suburbia pretty much all their lives, decided they're going to get a milking cow. Watch what you said, because one of them may be interested in listening. Well, then they do. They admitted what they did, that they got in over their head. And so they saw this, they're getting a, a, a milking cow. Well, having never been around some of these animals are never having a milking cow and understanding what they need and what they are going through you know that that that's a big jump to get is your first animal now maybe it's not their first i saw some chickens and some other things that they did but a dairy cow in my opinion would be one of the last things that you add to your homestead um, some people may be different i mean chickens seem to be the gateway there is usually a cheaper entry price point uh, they produce eggs and meat. You can feed them lots of different things. Fairly easy to care for. They don't have a lot of different diseases that you need to watch out for. Um, but I, uh, also just Brumblefoot and Rhineck. Brumblefoot, Rhineck. They can get coccidia. They can get um, parasites. They can get mites. They mites can, I know about. They get picked on by other birds. They can get, you know, they can get different things. And it all depends on, is it a life-threatening thing or is it, you know, it really doesn't matter to the chicken that they have this issue. Um, you know, there's some things that you can just let slide because it's not a big deal. Um, what's the one thing that the rain rot on the horse's coat? That's something. I mean, is it life-threatening? Not necessarily, but it could be. 
Um, anyway, so they got this cow, and they think they just got over their head, and, you know, she was supposed to have come to them bred by AI, then they moved her, and then come to find out she wasn't bred. Well, and then they just didn't want to do anymore, and it was an issue for them. Well, you know, dairy cows who are bottle babies, they like to be by people, and they are not, you know, little dogs. You know, we're talking a thousand to two thousand pound animals who maybe want pets, and them moving their head or getting up on you, they will knock you over. Or if they're in heat, they try and mount you. Ugh. I'm I'm thinking about when Betty jumped on my back. You know, she's a, a... 1,200, 1,400 pound heifer, and she put both of her feet up on my shoulders trying to tell me she was in heat, because I was you know, her companion. I was, you know, she wasn't necessarily trying to breed me, but that's just in their behavior. That's what they do. When the, the cows go into heat, they mount the other cows. And if there's no bull there, and so she did that to me and put me on the ground and it really messed up my back for a while and you know it could have gotten a lot worse she could have stepped on me and that could have punctured ribs into my lungs could have crushed my chest could have crushed my heart my spine my skull any number of things could have gone so you know having a big animal like that and then no way to transport the animal so if you needed to take it to a vet you got no way to transport it. The vet has to come there, which is expensive. So, you know, they, they did get it over their head because they were idealistic of what was the lifestyle was going to be. So when you get some of these things and you're watching these, you really need to go and talk to people who have these animals who can mentor you, who will tell you the ins and the outs. Uh, I'm just as guilty. When we first got our property, I was so excited. I wanted goats. Goats were the gateway animal. And now that we have goats, we can do them for meat. And we can do them for milk. And they'll clean out all the brush. And we won't have to do anything. And feed them. And this and that. I hate goats. I really hate goats. They are like one of the worst animals on our farm. Uh, you like lugs. I like Lug because he's a fat little snot who can't run away from me. And he faints if he gets too excited. Oh, Bug can run. And he can't jump a fence. And he's too unmotivated he to go under. He can't jump. I don't fully untie their gate and Lug will jump like a foot over it. A foot? He's not scaling a four and a half foot fence. He's not walking fences down. Bug is like the ideal goat. He just, he's so lazy. He doesn't want to be bothered by anything. He's like, yeah, there's good stuff on the other side, but you know, that caused me an effort and I'll just stay where I'm at. It's, it's like not worth it. Unlike Greg, who just whines and complains, and he needs to be everywhere where he's not supposed to be. And then we have Zoe does the same thing, but Zoe's been fine lately. I'm fine with Zoe because she's pretty much stays with the sheep, thinks Zoe she's a sheep. Zoe can escape or get into anywhere she wants. Yes, she does. So, But she's been fine right now. I haven't wanted to shoot her in, like, a year. So... <laughs> Being idealistic, I was watching those people on YouTube and how there's a, a, a um, creamery, so they milk their goats, they make goats milk cheese and all this. It's, it's work, and they don't show you how to clean, the, the time it takes to clean all of your equipment to make the cheese. They don't show you the time when you're getting up at five or six to go milk the animals, which I didn't, but sometimes senior boss would because she would do it before work. Um, or when you have sick animals, or when they have mastitis and you've got to treat the udders, or you know, they don't show you those things, or all of the issues you may run into of getting attached to these animals and they die. Um, like I said, some do, but I would say stop watching some of those shows. They're good information, but don't base your whole decision on homesteading and farm life on YouTube or books alone or conferences. Uh, I've been to several conferences where what they say and what goes on in real life are completely different. Um, you know, they have these people who go in let me give you, a, let's say a university goes in or a, 
a program talks about how great high tunnels are on. You can do this and this, and they show it to you. Well, what they're not showing you is the 50 laborers that they have to get, you know, part of the course credit going in there and weeding every other day. One of those semis back there were hauling cattle in it. Okay, something shiny, Miss ADD. I was on the middle of something, and you decided to... We drove by a semi that's hauling cattle, so apparently that was something we needed to discuss. Sorry! Get distracted, boy, when you're talking. Well, you can talk, too. What the fuck am I going to talk I about? I don't know. You can talk. Do you watch some of those YouTube channels and shows? You watch yeah. your TikTok stuff. I do some of those when I need to find certain information, like how to tie stuff for the Western saddle and that when I need to. But you don't watch the, the big ones like Mother does about... No, I don't watch that because it doesn't serve much, much use to me. <laughs> Just like me. Mother likes to watch the ones where she knows all the family members, all the animal members' names, and she will sit there and watch somebody making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for their 12 kids for an hour when it's all about, supposed to be about, you know, uh, treating a goat with mastitis. And what they did at the very end after watching for an hour is they took it to the vet. Well, why couldn't you just say that at the beginning? Because they're making a buttload of money off of all the commercials and all the ads that they put in these things. So the longer the video, the more commercials that go in there, the more money they make. If you don't believe me, put in any of your popular YouTube um, people and see how much they make off of YouTube. It's public information. It'll show you. Um, some of them are millionaires. So do you think that you can make that kind of money uh, homesteading? They're not making money homesteading. They're making money on you watching them homestead. So, you know, if you're going in this to sell, go to real people. Go to your farmer's markets. Go to, um, you know, find people at 4-H. You know, how do you find these mentors? They're all over. Join different Facebook groups. I run a bunch of groups. And, you know, one of them is Putnam County Homesteading because that's our county. And we didn't have a homesteading group specifically for our county. So I created one. And post all kinds of stuff and we get discussions and if somebody wants to know about geese locally or can you lo mentor me on bees, three or four people pop out and says, yeah, we'll, we'll talk to you. What do you want to know? Come see our farm. Come learn about this or that. And it's not going to be what you see on TV. So not trying to poo-poo on anybody's you know future plans, but in the same aspect, you really need to be realistic and not see see it for what it is and not the idealistic way that some of these people put it out like you like going to different places like okay uh, Morrison he raises pigs he does a lot of things something similar something's different than we do but would you want to raise animals the same way he does no but he taught us some stuff about how to castrate pigs that are bigger, how to castrate pigs in the first place, um, ringing pigs so they don't root, which is something we don't do, but we know how to do it if we wanted to. Um, you know, different things like that, or how to work on different pieces of equipment. The ring still has to change the plumbing out. Like, didn't Piggy used to have a ring? Piggy had rings, and they all came out. Um, so, you know, you have to keep putting them in, and that's just... I don't want to say it's cruel. It's not something I want to do. It's not part of our management style, but it is his. And just because he does it one way and we do it differently doesn't mean our way is right or his way is wrong or his way is right and our way is wrong. Um, you know, some people think that what we do with feeding the animals raw is wrong or, you know, having farm income and it's not self-sufficient all by itself is wrong. You know, everybody has their own way to farm and what was right for somebody is may not be right for somebody else. Um, let's see, who else do we know that, like, would you want to run an operation like Goat and Adam, Kayla? Okay. Goat, not go Goat and Adam. Goat, Kayla, and Adam at the Hedges Farms. They, I like their puppy program, how they run their dogs. I do like how they run their dogs, the goats. But see, they're, they're a different breed of goats. They're, they're boar goats, so they're not as hardy as our mutt goats 
have different health issues, different concerns. They breed out of cycle. They have very expensive goats because they have they breed for the different colorings and they have different papered goats. Yeah, I like the moon spots. Yeah, I do like the moon spots. I have to give I do like the moon spots. But boars are not something that we like or we want or it's not in our, our wheelhouse. But we can appreciate I love how they run the dogs. Their goat program, it's not for us. Is it wrong? No. Um, you know, they have to buy a lot of feed for them. They do pigs differently than we did. I mean, we used to run them the same way they did, or they kind of learned from us what we were doing, and they duplicated it. And it worked for a while, but then, you know, it did, that system no longer fit their management style, so they switched to something different. They tried it, and it worked differently. So we were kind of a mentor to them, and they've mentored us on different things. What? I was going to say something, but then you started talking again, and I forgot. Oh, was it about the, the pigs? The Oh, yeah. They do kind of run them similar, enough, like how we do them in the woods. Yep. They do them in the woods, but they buy pig feed for them, which they use a uh, protein-based or a soy-based protein pellet which I don't like. It changes the, the way the fat tastes on the pig, and I don't like that particular characteristic. So we won't feed protein to ours in that form. We feed them eggs. That's how we get their protein to them. So different strokes for different folks, and that's why we have the Taj Makoop chickens where they are, which is close to the pigs, so we can just take eggs and feed them to the pigs and be done with it. And that way also if the eggs are rotten, you don't have to smell them. Oh, yeah. Rotten eggs and something. Hooey. Um, so when you're doing this, find yourself a mentor, and, and maybe you don't find a mentor. Maybe you go on farm tours. If anybody's ever offering farm tours, take them up on it. Or you know, different aspects of actual seeing operations versus an idealistic thing. So you know, I mean, people watch those stupid reality shows like The Bachelor and. Um, Kardashians and all that kind of crap. Do you think that's what their real lives are at, or do you think that's more for for TV? They're showing you the idealistic things. You know, they pay. They have people pay to clean their toilets and whatnot. You don't have that kind of money, so do you think that that's going to be the same kind of lifestyle? I don't know. Maybe you do have that kind of money. Who am I to know? What I'm saying is, what you see is a different world than what is necessarily reality is, and get a real world view versus a made for TV view. So, we are coming up on Habitat for Humanity. We are at a little over one hour. I think we've hit every topic on part two. What's the last? What do we have for last? Single-use tools. Uh, we could probably cover that before we get there. We, I mean, it's like 10 minutes. Um, so when you're looking at We're tools... Like 20. Okay. When you're looking at tools on your homestead, look for multi-use tools versus single-use tools. In some cases, there is one tool for one purpose, and it's usually an expensive tool. But if you can use that same tool for multiple purposes and get away with it. it it's much better i don't remember where i was going at when i wrote this um, so i'm not I tractors probably, the auger maybe uh chainsaws maybe i don't know i don't know i don't know that we have a lot of single use tools for one purpose but i can tell you you know if you're going to have to buy tools or equipment maybe you meant like uh finding expensive versus the cheaper tools in that. That's, that's where I was getting ready to go. See, we're thinking alike. So if you're having to buy a tool for a single purpose and a one-time use, maybe you look at buying a cheaper tool than buying the more expensive one. So instead of buying a name brand, DeWalt or this or that, you buy some off-brand because it's not going to get nearly the use. So on our farm, Homestead, we use impact drivers, drills, sawzaws, sanders, all those kinds of hand tools a lot and regular. I'd say we probably use the impact driver at least two times a week, if not more. And the sawzaw at least once a week, if not more, for different uses. The chainsaw gets regularly hard used. Um, you know, so 
buy a better brand that has you know more reputation that you'd probably be able to hand down to your kids. Now, say something like snake in the drains going to the septic. Now, how often are you going to have to do that? Not very often. Maybe once a year, maybe once every five years. So maybe you buy a tool that's not as well-known name brand, so maybe it's a Harbor Freight type tool um, versus something that you're going to use very regularly. Um, Harbor Freight is typically... I'll say typically. Sometimes they do have American-made stuff, but a lot of it's Chinese stuff that's imported and it's kind of cheap and it's not the best use. But if it's not going to be something that you are dependent on regular hard use, it doesn't hurt to buy some of those kinds of things. Um, I'm trying to think of some other things like fence chargers. When you buy fence chargers, there's I learned recently... Most of the fence chargers are all made by the same company. They just slap different labels on them depending on where they're selling them. So our 240-mile big fence charger uh, went down after the last set of storms, and there's a three-year warranty on it. I called them to you know, basically check in on the warranty because it was less than a year that we owned it, and... You had to, it says if you buy this model, this model, this model, or this brand, this brand, this brand, this brand, this brand, you know, stay on the line. If you're this, 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 or this, you know, push number two. Well, they're all made by the same company, I found out. And it's not just that the warranty was covered, but they were literally made by the same company. So in those kinds of cases, uh, you know, shop around. I just missed Habitat because I'm talking. Dag nabbit. Dab nugget. Dab nugget. Um, now i got to do a U-turn. So, anyway, like I was saying... Are no U-turns technically illegal? Uh, no, it doesn't say no U-turn here. But we're going to get out of this person's lane really quick. U-turn, U-turns were illegal on certain places. It wasn't posted. Um, anyway, so if you're going to buy something that may last for generations that you're going to hand down, go with quality. And it goes for cast iron, um, cookware, and some of those kinds of things. Oh, like some of the, the like knives and forks and spoons we have? Yeah. So some of my knives were, were handed down. Um, some so. of our like, cutter, cutlerly. Yeah, some of our silverware is from grandparents and things. So, you know, think about that when you're buying tools or things on the homestead. And we've said before, just because you have a homestead doesn't mean you need tractors and all these kinds of things. You can rent stuff, you can borrow stuff, and a lot of times you really don't need it and it's expense that you don't necessarily have to have right up front. Okay, so that was quick. I am done. I am the Fat Man Farmer. And I'm Wee Wild Woman. And we will talk to you next time.